and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot concludes Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. We need to see that hypocrisy is such a pivotal and serious thing. Hypocrisy chokes off God's blessings, both in individuals and in churches. Hypocrisy is a life and death and a heaven and hell issue. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. All of these case studies illustrate what considering and putting aside looks like. And all of this considering and putting aside so we won't be hypocrites is rooted in what came before our paragraph for today, namely that Christ is our focal point, that Christ is our identity, and that Christ is our life. And when we see Christ that way, when Jesus is our focal point, when Jesus is our identity, and when Jesus is our life, we will be delivered from all hypocrisies. We will. And hypocrisy is such a pivotal thing. If we are hypocrites, it chokes God's blessing off of our lives. And if there are enough hypocrites in a church, it chokes off God's blessing for a local church. Richard Milhouse Nixon realized the power, the negative power of hypocrisy. Fascinating. True story. Billy Graham and President Richard Nixon's friendship began after Nixon's mother told her son of the powerful young evangelist she had just heard preach. Nixon was in law school at the time, and the two did not meet until 1950 when Graham was in Washington, D.C., and was introduced to Nixon, a freshman congressman from California. They had become good friends by the time John F. Kennedy defeated Nixon in his first bid for the White House. Nixon often sought out Graham for counsel and prayer. Later, when Nixon did become president, Graham preached at some White House worship services. But in January of 1973, at Nixon's second inauguration, Graham told his wife, Ruth, quote, the president does not look like himself. I've never seen him look or act that way, end of quote. He later wrote, Graham did, quote, Nixon was terribly preoccupied and hardly seemed to know we were present. I could tell by his eyes that he was under some severe strain. At the same time, I had no idea what was to come nor did any of his other friends, end of quote. Shortly after the dinner with Prime Minister Mayer of Israel, the Watergate scandal broke. Graham found the news, quote, so discouraging that it almost made me physically sick, end of quote. Graham was one of the few who distinguished between the sinner, his friend Nixon, and the sin of the Watergate cover-up. But the distinction was lost on many who condemned Billy Graham for refusing to condemn Nixon. When Nixon died in April of 1994, 
His family asked Billy Graham to preach at the funeral. Graham was honored and recalled another funeral that he gave him hope that he would see his friend Nixon again in heaven. Billy says, before his mother's funeral service, Richard talked with me for a few minutes about her faith. Dick, do you have that same kind of faith? Billy Graham asked. I believe I do, he said quietly. That was his Quaker way to keep piety private. Billy said, and that's the only way you can be guided in life, and it's the only way you can get to heaven. End of quote. Billy then said, I prayed for him. And later, he told me that it was one of the great moments of his life, and I believe he meant it. And the months of no communication in the wake of Watergate, question mark, it turned out that the silence was motivated by Nixon's love for his friend. After months of long waiting, Billy Graham learned Nixon had told all of his aides, quote, don't let Billy Graham near me. I don't want him tarred with Watergate. Think of it a quietly converted president reckoning himself to be dead to a very cherished friendship relationship with Billy Graham so that Billy Graham's witness and ministry would not be smeared and run off the tracks which the devil would have loved. You see, church hypocrisy is serious. Hypocrisy is so serious that it's a heaven and hell issue. I've told you before, but my best friend in high school was named David. I shared the gospel with David in grade eight. He listened respectfully, and he said, when I asked him if he wanted to trust Jesus to be his savior, no, I'll wait. In grades 9, 10, 11, and 12, he continued to be my best friend, but I was not a consistent Christian. I was a hypocrite. I said I believed something, and I lived opposite. David noticed, as I found out. Because near the middle of my 12th grade year, I shared the gospel with David again. Although I had been living in hypocrisy, I shared the gospel with David again. And he said to me something like this. Is this what you told me about in grade eight? Yes. I've been watching you. And it doesn't make a little bit of difference in your life. So why should I do anything about it? Hypocrisy. My hypocrisy. And it's a heaven and a hell issue because David drowned body surfing in Hawaii one month after he told me that he didn't want Christ because it didn't change me. And I have had to live with the very strong likelihood that my best friend is in hell because of my hypocrisy for four years of high school. Hypocrisy is a life and death, heaven and hell issue. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. 
For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. My prayer for me, and maybe this is a prayer that you should pray for you. God forbid that I would be a hypocrite. God forbid that I would live in a contrary manner to what I say I believe. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Question. First Peter 3, 18 to 22 is a difficult passage of the Bible to understand. Let me read 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. It is a difficult passage. And the questioner asks, who are the spirits in prison that were preached to by Christ? The Bible doesn't teach a second chances, so it can't be an offer of salvation. Please clarify. Well, let me try to answer that. Verse 18's point is that Christ's death was a triumph, not a defeat. These spirits in prison are not angels, for there is no salvation for angels, according to 1 Peter 1, verse 12. And these spirits in prison are not unbelievers in Christ at the time that the book of 1 Peter was written, since the mention of Noah wouldn't fit this understanding. And the spirits now in prison are not unbelievers from Noah's age, who are now in Hades and given a second chance at heaven. Hebrews 9, 27 teaches that there is no second chance after death. Hebrews 9, verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Hebrews 9.27 teaches that there are no second chances after death. There's no purgatory. And it says, rather, the spirits in prison, here's who they are, the dead unbelievers from Noah's time who are being judged. 
the pre-incarnate Christ before Bethlehem, the first Christmas, the pre-incarnate Christ preached to them back in Noah's day through Noah. They are cited here with a retrospective viewpoint, a looking back in history viewpoint to make the point that Christ's pre-incarnate before the first Christmas ministry is being resumed after his bodily resurrection. The spirit ministry of Jesus Christ back in Noah's day resumed in the New Testament times when Christ rose from the dead in a glorified, resurrected body. Christ's death was an unqualified victory, not a defeat. Question, how should we understand a psalm like Psalm 35, which asks God to rain down judgment and pain on the psalmist's enemies? Aren't we supposed to bless and curse not our enemies? Yes, we are to bless and curse not our enemies. In Romans 12, in verse 14, we read, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So the question becomes, why in this psalm and other psalms are there prayers that the enemies of the psalmist would be judged, hurt, uh, killed, etc.? And how does that jive with we're to not to... Um, fail to pray for our enemies. Um, well, Psalm 35 is a special kind of psalm. It's called an imprecatory psalm. Other imprecatory psalms are Psalm 7, Psalm 58, Psalm 59, Psalm 69, Psalm 83, Psalm 109, Psalm 137, and Psalm 139. These are all imprecatory psalms, psalms where the psalmist praised the demise and the problem and, and judgment against his enemies. And the key to understanding any imprecatory psalm in the Old Testament is to remember the Abrahamic covenant. That covenant centered out Israel for very real and very unconditional blessings. And I'm just going to read the first giving of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that was the unconditional promises of God made to Abram, who later was called Abraham. And in that covenant, God put himself on record to curse those nations that would curse Israel. The imprecatory Psalms are prayers based on the Abrahamic covenant's provision that God's will includes cursing those who curse his people, the Jews. And just like we shouldn't apply Old Testament dietary law to us as church-age Gentiles, we also shouldn't pray imprecations on our enemies. We are not benefactors of the Abrahamic covenant. Another way of saying all this 
is that it was through the Jewish line that in his humanity, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come. And so a great deal was at stake when Jews were being threatened of, to have annihilation or extinction. And so it was appropriate to pray imprecatory prayers in the book of Psalms that the Jewish line would not be obliterated, that the enemies of the Jews would not uh, last and that they would die because what was at stake was uh, the Messiah's humanity coming through the promised lineage of Judah, a tribe of Israel. So that's the deal there. Precatory Psalms are not for us to pray today. They were for the Jews to pray before Christ. Today, Pastor Elliot begins Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. Hypocrisy is ugly. Hypocrisy is a terrible advertisement for Jesus Christ. Once again, Pastor Robert Elliott. Lord, as we come now to your word, we want to come with anticipation and alertness. We want to come believing that you have truth for us, not only to learn, uh, but truth for us to apply, to live, uh, to the end that you would be seen to be as great as you truly are. Please remove distractions from me in the pulpit and from my friends in the pews. I pray that you bring about a holy hush as we look into your word. The Spirit of God would craft and hone and chisel the man in the pulpit as well as the folks in the pews to be more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name and for his glory alone. Amen. Two Sunday mornings ago, I hope you remember that we saw together how Colossians 3, 5 through 9 answers the lost person's accusation, you are a Christian? All churches are filled with hypocrites. And the first part of what we saw as an answer to the accusation that all Christians are hypocrites was that the verses 5 through 9 of Colossians 3 let us know and taught us that letting the Holy Spirit prevent sinful attitudes and actions in our lives over the long haul is a way not to be a hypocrite. Put another way, we saw last time that verses five through nine address what is to be removed from our Christian lives. Look at verse five, Colossians three. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead, watch it, to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. God says if you would not be a hypocrite, you must let the Holy Spirit strip away from you those attitudes and those sins consistently. Because if you don't let the Holy Spirit change that about you, anybody who's not a Christian and looks upon you doing and thinking and being that way has every right to say, you're a hypocrite. We don't have to be. We don't have to be hypocrites. Because the Holy Spirit of God's job is to elevate Jesus and to magnify him to his rightful place, first place, and in so doing to shed for us, to excise from us, to remove from us that which doesn't look like Jesus. We saw last time in verses 5 through 9 that we have a how from the Holy Spirit, how we have the bad stuff removed from us in a consistent way. And we learned last time that how this happens is that we are to consider something and we are to put aside some things. 
We are to consider ourselves to be dead, unresponsive, separated from our sin natures after conversion. It's an accounting word, debit credit word. We are to figure, reckon, debit that we are dead to our old sin nature. We don't have to respond to it. We don't have to give in to it. We are no longer automatically slaves of it. And so we are to consider ourselves as being dead to the old way of living. And further, we are told not only to consider ourselves to be dead, but that in the Holy Spirit's strength, not ours, we are to put aside the attitudes and the actions of self and the attitudes and the actions of Satan because we are dead. Verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Now, dead people don't pout. They don't hate. They don't act conceited because they're dead. Dead people don't have stinky attitudes. Dead people also don't steal. They don't lust, and dead people do not lie because they're dead. And dead people don't do wrong things before God or to others. And we're dead. In Christ, we are dead. Now, all this being considered, we're saying that we don't have to be hypocrites. In fact, we can be delivered from ever being a hypocrite if we consider properly that we are dead in Christ to our old ways. And if we let the Holy Spirit point out to us and we cooperate with him the things in our lives, the attitudes and the actions of our lives that don't honor Jesus, and we set those aside, we say no to those things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Please recall that all of this considering and all of this putting aside is rooted in some fundamental spiritual truth we saw last time in Colossians. Three things. Remember, Christ is our focal point. Christ is our identity. And Christ is our life. Christ is our focal point. Christ is our identity. And Christ is our life. To the degree to which we recognize that and believe that, that Christ is our focal point, that Christ is our identity, and that Christ is our life, to that degree, we will not be hypocrites. To that degree, we will consider ourselves to be dead to the old ways of looking and doing life. To that degree, we'll be able to let the Holy Spirit empower us to set aside the junk that shouldn't be in our lives. To that degree, we won't be hypocrites. And now we come to some new truth that we haven't seen together before, verses 9 to 17. And these verses aren't about putting aside. That was in the truth preceding this passage. What this passage is about is not putting aside. Rather, it's putting on. These verses are about putting on the right things so we won't be hypocrites. Check out verse 10. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We are to not only put aside in the Holy Spirit's power, but we are equally and also are to put on. And the truth is, the fact is, the reality is that we can neither put aside nor can we put on righteousness in our own strength. You can't do it. I can't do it. 
One of my seminary professors, Howie Hendricks, said, the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. In your own strength, in your own resources, in your own willpower. The Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible if it's up to us. And so we're seeing again this morning what we saw two Sundays ago, that hypocrisy is ugly. It's ugly to people who look in on us from outside the body of Christ, and it ought to be ugly to those of us who are inside the body of Christ, part of the body of Christ. Hypocrisy is ugly. I came across this with the help of Mary Jo Fusey. The light turned yellow just in front of him, and he did the right thing stopping at the crosswalk even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. The tailgating woman was furious and honked her horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her last chance to get through the intersection, dropping her cell phone and her makeup. As she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, the jailers approached the cell and opened the door, and she was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, I'm very sorry for the mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, giving the guy in front of you the finger, and cursing at him like mad. I noticed the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, the Choose Life license plate holder, the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. So naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. Right? Hypocrisy is ugly. And it ought never to be a label that sticks on you. Hypocrisy is a terrible advertisement for Jesus Christ. People who are Christian hypocrites wear masks and costumes. They are actresses and actors who are playing a role They are phonies. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins at 11 a.m. and coming Sunday, April 3rd at 8 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N-1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.